following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. The reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. I'll give you a moment to find that in your Bibles. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello. So today's reading from 1 Peter 4 is in two sections, as you'll see in your Bibles. First, we have verses 1 to 6, and that's roughly about living as Christians in a world that doesn't share your beliefs. It begins, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. Okay, now on first hearing, you might be forgiven for wondering exactly what Peter is saying here. Is he saying Christ suffered and he's perfect, so if you suffer, you'll be perfect? That somehow suffering is a good thing because it purifies us? Well, spoiler alert, no. I think the key lies in the first word we heard there, therefore. Back when I was first studying the letters of Paul, I was taught that whenever you see a therefore in Paul, ask what it's there for. So here, I think the therefore indicates that what Peter is about to say relates to what's gone before. So if we look back to the end of chapter 3 of 1 Peter, remembering of course that chapters were actually a later invention, we'll see that Peter was talking about the suffering of Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 18, he says, 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So Peter isn't glorifying all suffering. He's not urging them to seek out suffering or become martyrs. He's talking about the suffering of Jesus, which was unique, a kind of cosmic event. But he is drawing a link between Jesus and these struggling first readers. Because, of course, remember this letter was written to Christians in the Roman Empire in Asia Minor, currently Turkey, who faced opposition because of their faith in Jesus. So Peter is reminding them that Jesus, their Lord and Saviour, he also knows what it is to suffer. And he's urging these Christians to adopt the same attitude, the same resolve as Jesus. That resolve is not to suffer for the sake of suffering, but to break with sin and to follow the will of God. A quick sidebar on suffering. Now there are those even today who suffer terribly for their faith, and I believe truly God will honour righteous suffering. But if you ever hear someone say to you that God wants you to suffer because it will be good for you, please don't buy it. I think that is terrible theology. Suffering is a reality in our fallen world, but it won't be that way forever. In the meantime, God can redeem any experience. He can bring good from bad, but that's not the same thing as saying that he wills it. But even if Peter's first readers didn't go looking for trouble, they are now called to live by the will of God, and that changes everything. Peter spells out how. He says, you've had more than enough time doing what the pagans do, living in debauchery, going to drunken parties, going to orgies and the like. No more of that. Down with this sort of thing. Because, of course, as you know, becoming a Christian changes things. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, you know, Maeve, actually that sort of thing wasn't a big part of my life even before lockdown. So what's the problem? Or maybe you're thinking... I wonder what today's equivalent would be. Well, Peter's list of bad behaviour is heavy stuff. It's more than a bad night out at Clute. As well as general drunkenness and debauchery, the Greek words probably also imply excessive feasting, obscene or abusive sex, and even violence, all of which accompanied some pagan religious practices, especially around festivals like Saturnalia. So Peter's saying these Christians joined in this kind of stuff before their conversion, but now they're refusing. And that has surprised and upset the people around them. And says Peter, they heap abuse on you. So why the abuse? Well, maybe they felt judged. The scholar Karen Jobe says that early Christians avoided all kinds of activities that Romans loved, like risque theatre or chariot races or gladiator fights. She says they were seen as killjoys who live gloomy lives devoid of pleasure. Now I have a confession. I came to faith in middle age and before that I may have possibly had a similarly pejorative view of Christians. So actually it was a revelation to find instead people full of joy, full of excitement, full of love. But back in Asia Minor there was another problem because Christians also refused to sacrifice to pagan gods. And since placating the gods by sacrifice was seen as essential to avoid disasters and to guarantee the harvest, those Christians were seen as putting the whole population at risk. And because they wouldn't even burn incense to the emperor, they were also seen as traitors to the Roman way of life. And there was a personal dimension. John Barclay, writing about Thessalonica, describes a really deep sense of betrayal that was felt when new Christians refused to join in pagan traditions 
which might have been handed down unbroken for generations. They were letting the whole family down. And of course, this is still true today. From across the global, across the global church, there are examples of people being persecuted or rejected by their families or communities just because of their faith. Because when anyone starts to follow Jesus, life changes. For me, it opened up a whole wonderful new dimension of life that I never knew existed. But friends and family don't always react well when someone becomes a Christian. Now that can ease when they realise the person they love is happy and even more themselves than ever. They haven't become someone different. But sometimes people can feel alienated, perhaps when a new Christian finds more joy in their new life than their old lifestyle. Or maybe they could feel judged if the new Christian won't join in again with deceit or petty theft or even lying. Sometimes Christians are called to stand out and that can be tough. 1 Peter often uses the language of resident aliens, and it's because these Christians have become exiles, but without going anywhere, they just don't fit in anymore. But Peter tells them, those who abuse you for doing God's will, they will have to account for themselves to that same God, the one who judges the living and the dead, in other words, absolutely everybody. Their disbelief doesn't change the reality that he is the one true God. The thing is, the first century Roman Empire was awash with gods and religions. And although other people might have thought Christianity was weird, John Barclay says that what really upset people about Christians was their exclusivity. Sure, worship your own god, but don't tell me my, job, my god isn't real, or my religion's untrue, or it's idolatrous. That's offensive. The thing is, we too live in a world of moral relativism. And in a society where anything goes... The one thing that's really frowned on is a truth claim. Because of course there's no such thing as an absolute truth. Surely all views are equally valid. Now sometimes that's fine. I like cricket, you don't. Fine. I love Bake Off, you prefer Strictly. Fine. I think the West Wing is a work of modern genius, and so do you, or you're wrong. But truth is increasingly seen as a social construct. I don't know, maybe it's because we don't share common sources of news anymore, or information. Do you remember that classic advice to trainee journalists? They were told, if one source tells you it's raining, and another one says it isn't, it's not your job to quote them both. Your job is to look out the window and find out which is true. But these days, if I don't like one news report, I'll find another. We have world leaders who just declare something to be true even when it's demonstrably false. And if they're challenged, they call it fake news. But the thing is, some things are absolutely true, whether one believes them or not. And here, Peter is saying that those who mock these Christians, and he says by association, mock God, they will face judgment by that same God, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is true for everyone. Now that's not meant to make the Christians feel self-righteous or judgmental, nor are they free to retaliate. But I guess it should help them to know that the judgment of their society is not the end, that the troubles of this world are not the end, that the kingdom of God is coming and justice will roll down like water and righteousness as a mighty stream. So that's part one. 
The second section of today's reading begins at verse 7, and that's about living well as a united Christian community. It starts big. The end of all things is near. Now those Christians knew that their current age would come to an end one day and Jesus would return in glory, but they weren't sure when. And they, like us, lived in that time between the times, after Jesus had been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, but before he comes again in glory. And Peter is saying to his readers, look, you're living in this new reality, in the light of resurrection hope, so your behaviour should reflect that truth. And he gives them four instructions. First, be alert and of sober mind. Must be clear-minded, think in the right way. And why? So you can pray. Not so you can fend off those who abuse you or try and talk your family around or fight the Romans. No, so you can pray. And I think perhaps this is because of the shift in perspective that comes when we pray, when we intentionally reconnect with God. The 17th century priest and poet George Herbert wrote a beautiful poem about prayer. It's literally just a succession of lines, each of which is a metaphor for prayer. Prayer is the church's banquet. It's God's breath in human beings. It's the heart in pilgrimage, a plumb line exploring the unknown depths of heaven and earth. The final lines are heaven in ordinary, man well-dressed, the Milky Way, the bird of paradise, church bells beyond the stars heard, the soul's blood, the land of spices, something understood. Something understood. I think what Christians often gain in prayer is a right perspective, a glimpse into those deeper truths of the reality in which we find ourselves. And that was true in the first century Asia Minor, and it's every bit as true in Durham in the 21st century. Peter's second instruction was love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. The original Greek here implies it's a love that persists, maintain constant love for one another. Now the fact Peter needed to say this suggests it wasn't always easy. And why would it be? These were young communities thrown together and dependent on each other. And it's easy for any community including a Christian community, to start being destroyed from within if people attack each other or fight amongst themselves. During the COVID crisis, I've seen Christians scrapping on social media. I've watched good people struggle with their families or their housemates, because basically every kind of community is hard. A monastic friend once said to me that the secret of living in community is not to pretend other people aren't annoying, but to assume that you are as well. But despite this pressure, Peter's call is to exercise that constant love above all else. Thankfully, this follows on from his call to pray. And of course, the love that really covers a multitude of sins is the love of God. Our love is underpinned by God's love. And by the grace of God and through his strength, we can slowly get better at it. Finally, Peter's other two instructions are to be hospitable without grumbling and to use the various gifts God has given you to serve each other. Back in Asia Minor, hospitality may have involved taking Christians who were being rejected by their families into your home or opening your house for worship and fellowship. All things which could have been risky put them a target for persecution. 
and their service took various forms as it does now. I know of Christians today taking in refugees. I know some of you have got people living with you in your homes throughout lockdown. I know you're serving each other in all kinds of ways, ministering through music or prayer, through phone calls, through fellowship, through technical work. And Peter's image is of Christians using gifts they've received from God, not just to help each other, but to contribute to the common good, because that, as now, will build up the church community like nothing else. But then and now, it must be done in God's strength, not our own. And if it is, then as verse 11 says, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. So as we leave one Peter behind us for another week, what can we take with us? Well, we've been reminded that we live in the light of resurrection hope. We've been reminded that prayer gives us a proper perspective on life and that praying enables us to love and serve one another consistently, even when it's really hard. And we've also been reminded, you know, that we too are resident aliens in a way, exiles in a world when many no longer acknowledge the God that we worship and love. So what does that mean for us? Well, when we've sat down and wet by the river weir, we have to get up, we have to go out afresh and tell the old story again because the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for everyone, in every time and every place. To follow Jesus is to step out into a new future. We don't know what joys and challenges lie ahead, but we do know that we are saved and forgiven and loved beyond imagining, and that God will be with us every step of the way. And that is an absolute truth. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.